Hi, and welcome to the Daily Objective. Today with me is James, the great James Valiant. James, how are you doing? I am great, as you as you just as you just told everyone. I am indeed great. I hope you are great too. I know, in fact, in many ways, you are great, Daniel. Uh, oh, uh, hope you're feeling well. Yeah. So, uh, as everyone knows, I'm usually the producer behind the scenes. Uh, today, Marco is supposed to be on, but I'm not getting anything from him. So, if he'll come in, he'll hopefully gladly take over. But for now, I'll just be here, and uh, we'll see how it goes. So. He's okay. <laughs> Hopefully he's okay. But yeah, okay. So Abraham Lincoln is the Abraham theme of today's Lincoln. topic. A lot of times I hear... So here is how I first heard about this idea that Abraham Lincoln was not like the perfect president or like the greatest president. I was in Edinburgh with a friend and he was telling me, oh, have you heard about this uh, book uh, written by a libertarian that said like, Abraham Lincoln, not only that he wasn't the great president or really good president, but he was actually one of the worst presidents and pushed America into the horrible way it went on uh, later with. And for example, I, I think one point I'd heard is that he allowed people like uh, uh, Donald Roosevelt, like later push his things through thanks to Lincoln decades back so i'm thinking let's not make today's episode just about libertarian critics but kind of take a take a couple of critics from each side so um which one would you like to start with james yeah. well, the criticism well in my view uh, abraham lincoln let me just cut to my final evaluation abraham lincoln was a true hero who uh, helped America live up to its founding ideals of equality before the law. Many of the founding fathers had wanted to put into the Declaration of Independence, for example, an exclusion of slavery. At the time of the American Revolution, the Northern states uniformly made slavery uh, illegal, some of the first governments in history to make slavery illegal. But as everyone knows, the Southern states continue to have slavery uh, for another uh, 80 years after the Civil War. In the elimination of slavery, in the completion of that most important aspect of the project of the American Revolution, on balance, I regard Abraham Lincoln to be a terrific hero. But he has been subjected to criticism from both the libertarian, our classical libertarian and libertarian friends, as well as uh, from the progressive left. The progressive left tends to regard him, tends to focus on the fact that Abraham Lincoln. Uh, uh, did not eliminate slavery fast enough, uh, hard enough, uh, in a hard line enough way. He, for example, when the Civil War, give a little historical context here. Abraham Lincoln was the first president elected from the Republican Party. That's right, one of the two major parties in America today, the Democrats and the Republicans. The Republicans' first president was Abraham Lincoln. And that political party had come into existence over the last, the previous 10 years or so before Lincoln's election as a coalition of anti-slavery parties. And they had different anti-slavery positions on it. Abraham Lincoln was a part of that coalition. He very much hated slavery from throughout his life. He wanted it gone. He knew it was evil and pernicious, but he joined this party, this coalition party, the Republican Party, 
Uh, but his initial intent was simply to stop the expansion of slavery westward in order to keep the balance in the Senate, for example, every time a free state had been admitted to the Union, a slave state had to be admitted to the Union, things like that. And it was affecting all manner of uh, public policy, whether there should be a national tariff, whether there should be a trans, the government should support a transcontinental railroad, and where should that railroad go? So all the political issues in America before the Civil War were wrapped around this issue of slavery and the expansion of slavery. Opponents of slavery just wanted to eliminate it. Lincoln was one of these. Lincoln said that if he could have preserved the Union and contained slavery just to the existing Southern states and avoid the Civil War, he would have done so. He was trying to finesse a diplomatic solution, a way that would have contained uh, slavery so that it would have withered on the vine and died on its own. He would have preferred a peaceful solution from the outset. And many people point out that the Emancipation Proclamation didn't free all the slaves. In fact, it only covered a certain portion of slaves uh, in, the, in its direct immediate application. But Lincoln had transformed. Can you tell us a little bit about this, that the, it didn't free all the slaves in, in right. what way? Well, if you were already, uh, if you were not in a war zone, if you were part of the previous con Confederacy that had slaves and you were no longer part of the war zone in the war, you were not covered. Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation only covered slaves in the territories that were still subject to military occupation by uh, Lincoln. And the, even the word of that didn't get out all, all across those areas, but it only covered actually a proportion of those slaves. Now, in those other states, Lincoln was already following a policy, mind you, of freeing the slaves. It, being places that were occupied during wartime, the theory he would use is that just like you can uh, uh, commandeer the uh, tanks and military mm -hmm. equipment, economic resources of the enemy, so you could commandeer what they regarded as property, slaves. But what did he do when he got the slaves? He freed them. So even within that area, Lincoln was doing an aggressive policy to attempt to free the slaves in that area, but it wasn't by means of the Emancipation Proclamation. Um, but there's no question that by 1862, 1863, Abraham Lincoln was transforming the Civil War in, from merely an attempt to preserve the Union into a crusade against slavery. Um, you can see that with his uh, attempts, for example, in this confiscation uh, principle to free slaves that had been confiscated from Southern states. You can see it in the Emancipation Proclamation. You can see it in the Gettysburg Address where he invoked the principles of equality in the Declaration of Independence and said, this is what the cause is all about. And certainly around that time, he was also advocating what would become the 13th Amendment, a constitutional amendment, which would make slavery unlawful, unconstitutional in every state, everywhere in the United States. So his aggressive advocacy of the 13th Amendment in the middle of that civil war is what made that happen by the end of the Civil War. There can be no doubt that Lincoln was sort of cornered into this sort of uh, position. It's hard to second guess political and military decisions as they're coming down. But in my mind, Lincoln's heart was certainly in, uh, against slavery. And he used, the, when it became unavoidable, in effect, there isn't going to be any kind of peaceful solution. He turned it intentionally into a crusade to end slavery. Slavery so is such a great evil. Slavery is such a great evil in my mind that, that against all, everything else in balance, everything else in balance, we have to regard Lincoln as a hero. 
all the other things that we might say from uh, our classical liberal perspective that would be critical of Lincoln uh, have to be, I think, understood in that context. So in a second, we'll take a look from the for the criticism from the other side. But uh, quickly, there was a, so let me first read the super chats. Uh, thank you, Jonathan, for your super sticker. And thank you, Bonnie, for your super chat. She says, we always get valuable context with James. Thanks. Well, thank um, you. And there was an also interesting comment in the in the normal chat. And this is actually what I'm always wondering about because when uh, history is discussed, it's always president did this or president didn't do this. Uh, but someone said also Lincoln didn't have congressional approval to free the slaves in the border states. So I'm wondering to what extent did actually Congress uh, play the role during the Civil War and when it concerned with Lincoln? Well, it's a very interesting thing. Uh, when you occupy the territory, you take over the government. And, and when, for example, there's a military occupation of a certain area, especially during a civil war, that re issue really doesn't bother me. Uh, the, we can back up to a bigger theoretical issue here, which is a problem. Lincoln's theory was that the states could not secede that they simply did not have that congressional authority. And yet when he invaded the South, and this is very interesting, especially after the South, all of those Southern states had to be readmitted to the Union as if they had seceded from the Union, which is a sort of uh, theoretical tension here, you see. But in fact, these were militarily occupied regions. Imagine West Germany when it was occupied by the British and the Americans in the wake of Hitler's fall. Could they set up their own governments? Now, there was congressional authorization to do that. But it seems to me that when the president goes in, occupies territory, he's got to set up a government of some a kind, and he sets it up from scratch before there's any kind of constitutional understanding of what's going on there. And the constitutional status of the South was in limbo at the time. And Lincoln is the only government there. His military government's the only government there. So I don't think he needs congressional authorization, frankly, much less to do something so wonderful as to eliminate slavery. Uh, government policy, all government policy, in effect, was in his hands at that point. And just as northern states could free them, so the military uh, occupying forces of the Union could free slaves. They were the government. Make sense? Yeah. So uh, staying with the Civil War, let's talk about let's talk about draft the first or rather the conscription i'm not sure if they called it draft at that point uh it, especially you know ayn rand advocates for a voluntary conscription of voluntary army uh it, it's important to say that uh civil war is a very unique uh conflict to be in america has only been in one civil war uh, so what do you think about this criticism of Abraham Lincoln? Is it enough to, let's say, uh, not call him as great as many people do? Well, it's curious because the I don't think, along with Ayn Rand, I do not believe that the draft is ever morally justified. It is, let's just call it what it is, a form of slavery, a form of involuntary servitude. Now, that understanding was not present uh, in the 19th century. Uh, they had a clear distinct, and there's something, let's face it, chattel slavery is this horrible thing that is different in kind than a military draft. But in another sense, they're identical in kind. 
right? One may be only asking you to risk your life in war, and the other may be a lifetime of horrific slavery. There are differences between the two, and in the minds of people at the time, there weren't. But consider, yes, Lincoln was the first uh, president to conscript people uh, into an army for military purposes, and uh, yet he was also the advocate of the 13th Amendment, which flies right in the face of that on its, and see, in my view, the plain meaning of words transcend the original intention of whoever authored those words, so if you meant no slavery and involuntary servitude, that by its plain meaning includes the draft. And not understanding that, though, Abraham Lincoln did use, and we'll get to how he, some of the ways in which he did impose a draft when we get to the habeas corpus bit, I hope we get to talk about, but he, but through various means, Abraham Lincoln did involuntarily conscript people into the army uh, and gave America its first draft. Um, and unfortunately, because of that, uh, the 13th Amendment has never been seen as a, a prevention from any future draft. And so there have been further drafts and conscriptions uh, notoriously. We really didn't need one during World War II, for example, when we had one, but we did. But during Vietnam, for example, uh, we had a, a conscription that was only overcome in the 1970s. Technically, we still have a registration law in America uh, for conscription. But yeah, that was a bad move. Uh, but it seems to me the very principle that Abraham Lincoln gave us, the 13th Amendment, is exactly what is our chance one day of eliminating it, uh, the draft, as being a, a clear violation of the plain meaning of the 13th Amendment, whether Lincoln or anyone else understood that or not. That's why plain meaning must trump uh, the subjective intentions of drafters uh, when we do constitutional interpretation. But unfortunately, that is a black mark against Lincoln, but one that was shared by most politicians in both parties, by the way, then and since. So there are a couple more things I'd like to talk about. One is income tax, but you already mentioned it. Uh, let's talk about the habeas corpus. For those who don't know, maybe you'd be better at explaining it, but I'll try my best. It's basically the fact that after a government makes an arrest or arrests you, they you have to get a trial after a certain period of time. They cannot hold you indefinitely. You put your finger right on it. That's the whole thing. In Anglo-American law, there's this thing called the writ of habeas corpus. In Latin, it literally means let's have the body, uh, reduce the body. You can't, and the idea was, and you know what medieval kings would do, medieval kings would throw you in the dungeon and you don't get a hearing, uh, the public never even knows, they don't even have to charge you, they just keep you in jail uh, uh, as long as they want. Well, in America, uh, we can't do that. Uh, the government has to get you in front of a judge in a public hearing within a limited period of time. You have a right uh, to a speedy trial and to get uh, heard, your case heard. Well, Abraham Lincoln, very and in the Constitution, uh, this is a very important bit in the Constitution, the right of the writ of habeas corpus shall not be suspended except in cases of insurrection and civil war. Well, this was a case of insurrection and civil war, but the Congress is the only one who can uh, suspend it and regulate it. So I'll give you an example from uh, more recent times. Uh, after 9-11 and the war on terror, uh, George W. Bush in the war on Afghanistan, when people would be arrested on the battlefield, he wouldn't bring them to the United States where they might be subject to normal court procedures. He brought them to Guantanamo and did not give them hearings. Well, the Supreme Court quickly said, you can't do that. You can't hold people 
uh, at Guantanamo without any kind of judicial proceeding, habeas corpus still applies in effect. Now, go back to the Civil War. Even before, now, the Congress did authorize the suspension of the writ of habeas corpus at some point during the Civil War, but for two, at least two years before that, Abraham Lincoln, all on his own, because it was an insurrection, it was a civil war, the condition the Constitution permits habeas corpus to be suspended under, he, without congressional authorization, suspended habeas corpus and held people, Southern Confederate agents, people suspected of working with the Confederacy, he held them in custody without giving them a judicial hearing during the pendency of that war. And many people have criticized this as an overreach of executive authority. And when we look at later American history, such as Franklin Delano Roosevelt's order during World War II to round up arrest mm. and put into internment caps Japanese Americans in California, for example, that was clearly an, an extension of this same suspension of habeas corpus that Lincoln had done. Very, very bad. In fact, he used the habeas corpus uh, rule in effect to help conscript uh, and you and get people drafted into the union side. Uh, uh, so in that sense, again, another uh, check mark against Lincoln as a defender of liberty that has to be measured against the fact, as you point out, that this is a civil war with very unique conditions to it where civil government is really breaking down. Um, and he's fighting slavery, a much, much greater evil. Um, and so, uh, we had the courts help us work out habeas corpus and why that is uh, wrong since then. So that legacy of Lincoln uh, didn't, while well, have negative consequences, I don't think lasted. As to the income tax and tariff, I see Mark here has joined us. As to income tax and tariff, it is simply a fact that unfortunately this newly formed Republican Party was worse than the Democratic Party when it came to many economic issues. It was the Republican Party that wanted a tariff. It was the Republican Party that wanted a federally government subsidized transcontinental railroad. It was the Republican Party that was weaker on many economic issues. And during the war, Lincoln imposed an income tax, an income tax. Now, after the war, the Supreme Court said, no, you can't do an income tax. There's nothing in the federal government, federal constitution gives the federal government the power to do that. So in the 20th century, they had to pass an amendment to the constitution permitting the income tax. So Lincoln's imposition of the income tax wasn't the direct cause of our income tax. It was an amendment after the war that did that. Um, and uh, so you could say, hey, Mark, <laughs> How you doing? Good, See man. You, man. <laughs> Sorry, I'm late to the party. Hey, but I, I wanted to say to, to me, the difference between a Franklin Roosevelt who interred Japanese, but for the simple fact that they were Japanese um, and, and considered that ethnicity a risk, Lincoln was in enemy territory. Washington, D.C. was surrounded by the enemy. They, you could see enemy pickets from the White House. Several attempts were made on his life. And let's not forget that his life was taken down by a conspiracy between Southern, Southern uh, bigots, racists, and pro-Confederacy types. So um, to suspending the writ of habeas corpus, though we may not, we, we see it as a, a blight against his record for liberty, was also, I think, the proper thing to do, given that capital was in enemy territory. People were trying to kill them. People were trying to take down the republic. 
and uh, and he had to do something about it under the emergency powers. Now, this brings me to something else. I've just been reading about the compact theory of government or the grant theory of government that uh, in, in a very interesting book on the Constitution. And part of the reason people are, the libertarians are so upset with Lincoln is that they come from the compact theory of government. Is this correct? Where you have a compact with the various states that are independent, co-equal, and can break this uh, agreement with the federal government when federal government runs afoul of the contract. But the grant theory, you can correct me if I'm wrong, says that it comes from the whole people. It's the whole people granting the federal government certain powers. Um, and so that sort of inclines itself to a perpetual union uh, concept. And do you agree with this perpetual union? Do you agree with the grant concept? Or are you a compact guy? I am definitely not a states rights person. And when something like states rights has, is, is there to, to defend slavery, it's a no brainer. But let's go to the actual constitutional theory. When the U.S. Constitution was adopted in the late uh, 1780s, it contained limitations in Ar Article 4 of the original body of what states could do. For example, states were required to have Republican forms of government, uh, just as one example. And when the states are buying into a compact and agreeing to use their word, to use their word, you buy into this compact, you are stuck with those limitations thereafter. Uh, it seems to me. It seems to me that when you've uh, joined this union that takes powers away from the state and gives it to the federal government, you can't just willy-nilly say, oh, well, we're out of it now once you've joined. Uh, no, you can't. Now, any theoretical, now that may have been an open theoretical question, on the, and I would have definitely taken Lincoln's side on this at the time because of my argument about article, uh, section four uh, of the uh, original constitution. I think states were limited and stuck uh, uh, they couldn't just leave uh, at will. But even if insofar as that was still an open question, that was put to bed with the 14th Amendment, in my view, which totally gives the, which implot, which imposes all of the Bill of intended, its original intent was to impose the entire Bill of Rights against the states. And although the initial, initially the Supreme Court didn't say that's what it meant. And we've had to work for the last hundred years to get that to happen. Nonetheless, the 14th Amendment gives the federal courts jurisdiction over the legitimacy of what state governments can do. There can be no doubt today that states have no right to secede. I think there was no doubt before, but the 14th Amendment eliminated that. And yet the libertarians keep pressing this point. We have to start wrapping up pretty soon, but I want to get to a uh, super chat adherent of the Lady at Columbia, $10. Thank you very much. I understand first wavering of habeas corpus was to secure rails since Congress could not physically convene. There is uh, an honest myth of both South and Lincoln that was made to somewhat heal the country. Uh, I'm not entirely sure I understand that completely other than, okay, I could, I could see that in part she's saying that the practicality of waiving habeas corpus was to keep the rails going. So I guess so that the Union Army could could do its business, I guess. Uh, and uh, I, do you understand the rest there, uh, James? Well, sort of. I mean, if you're interfering, if you're arrested because you're interfering with the union's efforts, then do they need to give you a trial in the middle of a civil war? If we're at, in a war zone, it's obviously impossible to get you do regular judicial process. And that's what has to be recognized here. This is a civil war. 
But some people will say it's not even in the uh, a war zone where Lincoln was suspending habeas corpus. But wait a minute, up in Pennsylvania, we're having battles. The control over L Richmond, uh, Virginia is critical, uh, which, as you say, is real close to the U.S. capital. So when that's the when the war zone, in effect, is the entire country. Uh, yeah, habeas corpus is a different thing. And you're absolutely right. Insurrection and civil war is exactly the time where the, where the Constitution says you can suspend it. They do recognize normal judicial process breaks down. Yes, indeed. Um, uh, well, upcoming shows, folks, 6 p.m. UK time, The Reality Show, Five Ways the NHS is Killing You. Mm. At 9 p.m. UK time, uh, HBTV with Harry Binswanger and special guest Gene uh, uh, Maroney on managing your own motivation. Yeah, you're familiar with this one, James. You look uh, you look pretty psyched about this one. Oh yeah, these discussions between Harry and Gene have been really insightful and lovely. I, I urge everyone to check it out. Really, I would love to do that. Well, I'm sorry I came late to the party. Um, I, I really missed probably a, a very fascinating discussion on Lincoln. Uh, I, I would love to do it again because I think there's a lot to mine in this area. This history is very rich, uh, yes. and we're and we're currently in the throes of a potential uh, similar dynamic where left and right want to want want to divorce each other, and we should really discuss what this compact theory is versus grant theory and, and whether or not perpetual union is really the right way to go. Because I certainly have lots of questions about that. Well, folks, uh, it's been a pleasure uh, hanging with you for all of seven minutes or however long I was able, able to get here. Thanks, Daniel, for taking my place. And uh, folks, please uh, like or subscribe. Get on this show. This content needs to be out there. It needs to be much more uh, intensely digested by the populace. We need it. We're in an emergency. Uh, so do take your medicine and always remember to check your premises. Peace.